everyone. This is your cyber path. We are the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. We want you to get your dream cybersecurity job. That's why we're doing this. I'm Kip Boyle. Uh, Wes Schreiner is my co-host. And we are, guess what? Experienced uh, hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals. And that's what we want to share with you is if you want to get the attention of a hiring manager because you want a cybersecurity job or you're ready for the next level because you already have your cybersecurity job, then then that's what we're going to help you figure out is how can you become attractive, dare I say, irresistible to cybersecurity hiring managers. That's what we want uh, for you. So this episode is available in two ways. We have an audio-only recording that you can find just by searching for your CyberPath podcast in your favorite podcast app. We're also on YouTube. Just, again, do the same search on YouTube. You'll find our channel and uh, so you can listen to us or you can watch us and listen to us, whatever you like. We are going to show you some visuals. So um, you might want to, you know, either watch us on YouTube or download the slide deck, which you can do by checking the show notes. OK, so right now what we're doing is we're going through a series of episodes. And the goal is to tell you all about the way that typical cybersecurity organizations are put together because there's opportunity in there. But if you're just getting into cybersecurity, some of the jobs, some of the opportunity is going to be easier for you to to access. And so we want to point that out to you. And for those of you who are already in cybersecurity or if you're just a big-time, long-range thinker, then uh, there's going to be other opportunities that you're going to have a chance to move up to, and we want to point those out to you as well. So today, what we're going to focus on is product security for those organizations that have products that need to be secure because they, they, uh, you know, they work over the internet in one way or another. This is the part of the cybersecurity organization that's going to do that. And I'm happy to tell you, and you can probably see if you're watching us on the video, we have a guest who's going to help us explore this organizational unit and uh, and try to make some sense out of it. So, Wes. Tell us all about Matt. I'm glad to have Matt Clapham here today with us. He is the Director of Cybersecurity for Software and Cloud at GE Healthcare. He spent the last 20 years at several major software organizations securing the internal and external facing properties. And so uh, really glad to have you with us today, Matt. Happy to be here. And it looks like your Twitter handle is actually at ProdSec. I managed to snag that one. Wow. (laughs) We are talking to the Twitter handle today. (laughs) At ProdSec. Love it. If you get more work than you can handle, just let me know, man. (laughs) All right. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Where are you at? What are you doing? Uh, Sure. Um, So uh, the way I like to describe what I do is uh, I make products more secure. And um, uh, how I got there is I started out in in development, right? I was a software tester for a number of years, and I really learned a lot about how apps were put together. And I was right there on the, the cutting edge of the Trustworthy Computing Initiative, when uh, you know it really became apparent, they had to really focus on product security, and it was you know everything was focused on on making the products more secure. And then from there, I, I moved into things like IT and IT security, and, and learning a lot about how uh, video games were put together. And then I put that all together, and I, I I've been working on product security teams pretty much ever since. In that you know as we're um, uh, we're looking at all that stuff about how do we make a product, how do we make a product securely, uh, I put all of that together. Take that knowledge I have about how software is built and the knowledge I have about how IT security works and merge them together uh, to that end goal. That's tremendous. 
I'm glad to have you with us today. It sounds like you are truly an expert in the space, and it's going to be a lot of fun to have this conversation. Yeah, and Matt, can I just val- validate something that I think I heard you say, which is your uh, the way you got into cybersecurity was you started out as a software tester, right? Mm-hmm. And then you moved into cybersecurity. So um, yep. I always like to point out how you know the path that our guests took to get into cybersecurity, because I think it's, it's inspirational for some people who are watching us who are going, oh my God, I'm a software tester. I could do that too. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I, I, that's, I started, I was, uh, I think, about six years as a software tester. You know, I was just looking at the preview slide uh, telling me that uh, uh, all about you. And now <laughs> I can share that with us. the world. Okay, there we go. That's, <laughs> glad to be sharing that with the world. All right. We're going to jump ahead now since uh, I can see it now. I'm going to share it with you, too. All right. Uh, this is a reminder that we are li- taking a look at the common security team structure of a large security organization. We've got security engineering, architecture, and test. We've got governance, risk, and compliance, security operations. And what we're focusing on today is our product security space, that bottom left. I'm going to bring that into focus a little more here, that bottom left corner of this this diagram. Uh, We are going to spend today's episode on that, and then uh, uh, we'll go from there. Next episode, we'll get a chance to look at security operations. Inside product security, we've got... uh, two disciplines. We've called out five specific teams and two security service catalog line items. Now, there's a lot inside of there. So I'm looking forward to breaking it down with you. But I think this is a great place to get started to understand what is product security. When I think about products, I think about products as anything in front of us. That could be a technical product like Xbox or or a, a mobile device or a handset. It could be an IoT. It, it could be a, a point of sale kiosk. It could be an ATM machine. A product could be in a customer's hands or something the customer approaches. It's anything physical that can be held. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, and don't forget the virtual world as well, right? Imagine a, uh, a software as a service solution is itself a product. That's true. When we've dis- made a differentiation here, we talk about products versus product services. And so I I think we'll get a chance to talk about services separately from products because securing a a physical asset is very different than securing an online service of some sort. Fair point. I kind of merged the two because they all kind of blend in in a DevOps world. But yeah, let's let's do that. Outstanding. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for that. Folks, we're going to talk a lot about customers today. We're going to talk about internal customers and external customers. So I want to clarify an internal customer or lowercase c, we're going to call a client. And, and an external customer is somebody who pays us money. That's a capital C for capital C customer. We're going to call that person a customer. So client versus customer will be our vernacular for today's episode. When I think a little bit about uh, the hardware pieces that go into device security, I think about that whole assembly line, right? I've got, I've got actual hardware coming from somewhere, or maybe I'm building it in my basement. I've got a firmware that loads on top of that and an operating system that loads on top of that. I've got software that goes on top of that, and then some certificates and some sort of pipeline that delivers that software uh, in a version-controlled manner. And each one of those layers is very much a a part of device security when we think about product security. Yeah, we've learned uh, that the the supply chain of how the bits get to the box is critically important. And then also making sure that the quality of those bits that go to the box is crucial. Why is that? I mean, just just a little bit more about why that's so important. Uh, how the bits get to the box? 
yes. Okay. Imagine your bits and what's boss. Yes. And Wes, I might, I might jump ahead a little bit here, but imagine you're you're building that that whole structure to to take care of the the product, the thing. Um, from the well, I like to say from the silicon on up, you've got to make sure that you've got a good foundation. That so you thought about it at the device layer, that you've thought about it at the the tooling on top of that, that you've thought about the base operating system you might be uh, building yourself or consuming from somewhere else, all the way up into the the level that becomes the device as a platform. Security I, pervades that whole thing. I can't tell you how many times marketing has brought me a, an IoT biscuit and said, we love this thing, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's we find out it's actually built in a garage in Australia, right? And we found that the garage in Australia is actually ordering its hardware from uh, from China. And, and we find that uh, the the devices they gave us for security testing have changed because the firmware was updated and they didn't even know the firmware version had changed and their software wasn't running on it successfully any longer, right? We really need to understand our supply chain in order to understand what we're putting on top of that. You keeping those lights on back there? Yeah, yeah. You might see me wave my hand like this occasionally. <laughs> it's my lights are turning off. <laughs> These are not the lights you're looking for. These are for. not the lights you're looking for. Actually, these are the lights I'm trying to keep on so I, you can see my shiny bald head. But anyway, keep going. Another tricky part about this is are are we dealing with this uh, through patents? Are we securing our software through through open, aware patent process? Or are we securing our, our software through trade secrets that we can't tell anybody about? And, and depending on how we approach that is going to depend how we handle our supply chain as well. Uh, very much so. If you look at it from an intellectual property protection perspective, you really got to think about how super special is it and, and have a real honest, hard conversation about that. Sometimes people think their stuff is so cool, but it's really not. It's just yet another piece of software that does something. There's a bunch of other ones on the same market. And you know, if you think you're like going to be protected by uh, the fact that you have a trademark or a copyright or a patent on something, no, that's just a legal protection. It is. And I think legal is really the one to make those calls in a lot of ways, right? That's your product team working with your legal team and security is informed on that decision, but not necessarily even consulted. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you got to put your software on something to get it out the door. So you're, you're basically giving away the software to an extent. Indeed. Indeed. So when you're designing your device, you've got to decide, is it going to have wired or wireless communication? Is this going to be a one-way or two-way communication? Are we going to use that? Is that going to be credentialed? Or is it going to be open, unauthenticated traffic, right? One of the big complaints of an IoT device, if we looked at the IoT manifesto, might be, can it be updated? Can it be improved over time, right? Once the customer owns it, is it dead forever? Or, or, or can I pass an update to it along the way? And if I do, uh, can anyone else update that model also, right? Uh, can the customer modify configurations for that in, in some way, right? Can they, can they apply an if this, then that type logic to it? And if so, is that a dedicated interface or are they sharing the administrator interface when they do? Right, A lot to think about when we start thinking about what is that device and how can it be secured and then maintained over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all those factors that deal with uh, the user experience of managing the device securely or the user experience of securing the device itself all play in there. Indeed. We talked a little bit about third-party risk uh, last episode when we talked about third-party risk inside our enterprise, third-party risk to our, to our customers is, is very much a real additional threat here in the product security space. And so understanding both our product and device security and our third-party risk management strategy here is very, very important. 
Yeah, there's some uh, well-known cases where it seems that the attacks came in through some sort of third party who had a very poorly secured IoT solution or something like that. And it was the uh, the foothold that the attackers used to then keep uh, attacking and pivoting throughout the organization. Is there anything else you guys would like to add to device security specific before we jump to services? And I'm sorry, I'm only talking about technology devices. It could be anything. Product security is product security. Well, the example, yeah, the example we've given before, right, is like uh, an Xbox, right, or some kind of a handheld device, right? That's that's still what we're saying here, right? Should be, should be yeah. the same, the same thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, and and I think that the difficulty that we've talked about before with these is, uh, and not to get too crazy here, but these are uh, what they, you know, these these are devices where we've always assumed that if you didn't control the hardware. Like if it wasn't in your possession, then it couldn't be secured, right? And so that's one of the things that makes it so tough is you got people doing reverse engineers on on these uh, you know on, on these devices, and it, it makes it very difficult to to affect you know product security on something that that you just don't have physical possession of, right? That's that's how come DVD encryption got broken. I mean, that, I think that's a good example. Well, you got to think about the trade-offs there, right? I mean, uh, the in some cases, you want to try to make it really hard for somebody with physical possession of the device to do something bad with it. But then on the flip side, even if you're not in that world, you still ought to care about the quality and the security of the software that you're putting on top of it. Yeah, sure, you have to write off, you know, somebody with a debugger and a JTAG can, can attack it. But that doesn't mean that somebody who can just view the packets on the network should be able to attack. Right, right. I guess my, own, my the only point that I'm making here is that um, this is actually tough, right? This is actually a, a very difficult thing to accomplish. Yeah, you're building a, a security from the silicon on up. So everything from like how the CPU boots and, and talks to the TPM matters. Yeah, yep, yeah, and that's and you know and that's a maximum in security in general, right? Is how you do things matters. It's not just about the outcomes that you get. Because if you if you get a good outcome, but you do it in a shoddy way, somebody is going to figure that out and is going to eat your birthday cake. <laughs> my team uh, generally, and, and my approach to product security is to uh, to look at the the behaviors really. Because you think about it from a product security, you want to have that culture. You want to make sure the teams are are taking some you know doing all the right things to design, build, deploy, and operate those secure products, secure solutions. So you, you've really got to walk them through that that process. And at the end of the day, there's still going to be problems that come out the other end. But at least they should be known, understood, and tried really hard to minimize them. And then we can come up with a plan to deal with them. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's going to keep us in business, that's for sure. So when I secure the back office, when I secure the enterprise itself, I am protecting the organization's reputation. But when I'm securing the product, the device that actually goes in a family in their home, I'm actually, uh, in, in a way, a much bigger impact to the organizational brand if that device is popped, right? So uh, I would associate product security even more with, with customer trust than I would even the, uh, uh, the enterprise security piece. I actually have a prop for that. This Tell is a Cheerios that. box from a uh, <laughs> number of years ago. They were bold enough to put trusted on the box. It's a Cheerios box, right? And they said, our product is trusted, right? Think of product security as the same way as trying to help make sure that they can call the product trusted and say, we did all this due diligence. We, due diligence. we think it's a really secure product and be able to say that with a straight face and not have a problem later on. I need a prop like that. Man, that is that's powerful. Good. 
they don't sell them anymore. I had to. I seriously went out and bought like a half a dozen of them when they had, uh, had them at the time. It's you know, toasted oats, but it's trusted. <laughs> that's one of the first foods you feed a baby after they move to hard uh, to solid foods. And that's, so, in fact, that's what this is about. Is about finger foods. <laughs> and I think that's around the time I got it too. <laughs> and if I'm going to trust you with my child, then that's that's uh, that's trust. So that's really powerful. And so you don't, as a product security engineer, uh, my goal is to make sure we don't violate that trust. Because once we do, it's 10 years to fix that brand damage. Wow. If it's fixable. If it's fixable even, yeah. Wow, 10 years. Hmm. I've never heard anybody put a number on it. Where'd you get that number? That's cool. Oh, look at Microsoft. Look at how long it took them to actually shake the, oh, we're unsecure software. Oh, yeah. 10 years. And even still, even still today, you still find people like, oh, Microsoft, totally untrusted. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You're right. That's a great that's a great example. Thank you. So half a generation is what it takes. That's for one screw up or one really a couple of really big ones, you know. Yeah. Mhm. On the product yeah, that's security good. side. Yeah, yeah. It's got a, a big lot impact. Of pressure. So those products are the devices that go in the customer's hands. That's the Xbox. And then we've got a second piece, the Xbox Online, the services that come in behind those products, right? And those are equally as valuable to our customers and their experience. So if, if our customer brings home an IoT device, and that's a GPS registration device that, that allows you to track their, their dog as the dog runs around the neighborhood, um, that customer is going to go online, register that device to their, their home, to their name, to their pet. And then their pet can be tracked. But but if that online service is vulnerable, then then that gives a lot of personal information away about that that family and that home as well. Yeah, definitely. And imagine an even worst case scenario. So the service is talking to the device and the service gets to tell the device what to do. The service gets compromised. It could potentially compromise all those devices. That's true. We're, we're not just talking about an individual compromise here. We could be talking about uh, the entire product uh, farm. Could be break once, break everywhere. Right. And that gets even more interesting when we get into the healthcare industry where we have uh, uh, medical devices that are life safety devices. Yeah. Yeah. Like an, I, an IV infusion pump. Holy moly. Those things are on uh, wireless networks all throughout the hospital. And pacemakers have wireless capabilities. Oh, yeah. It just goes on and on. So, Matt, I should probably call out that uh, you're not here on behalf of your company. Your company does know you're here. Uh, but appreciate speaking- that, Wes. Yeah. And that, I'm going <laughs> to decline healthcare topics uh, because of where I work. And yes, I'm here on my own personal accord and, and not directly as a, uh, a job of my employer. A cleverly placed Michigan hat just behind you there. I'm sure that's totally. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's just, you know, it's on the desk. I, I just. <laughs> It's not on your head. So, I mean, you know, that's a, it won't fit that's, over pla- my, that's plausible deniability. It doesn't fit over my headset. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why. Outstanding. So uh, product services security is as much uh, a part of, of protecting our customer experience because that's web application protection, right? Uh, that is backend database. And, and usually it's, it's SaaS protection, right? It's software as a service. It is uh, in AWS or Azure. Uh, it's understanding how am I going to protect the cloud, uh, the SaaS, and the, and the services that are publicly wild available, right? Which also means wild attackable. Let me take it to a next level. You also have security within the service itself. And not just about the, the IT security around the edges, 
Here's a great example, fraud monitoring. And I'm not talking about fraud monitoring against the company. I'm talking about fraud misuse within the app itself. Hmm. Do you have an example? Um, your credit card. When my, you, my, my credit card? I didn't show yeah, you my credit, credit card. Yeah, your credit card, So, you know, most banks today will look at uh, the purchase orders, the purchase mm-hmm. sequence, whatever, the, you know, the, the regular use, and they'll say, wait, that doesn't look right. How could you go from Los Angeles to New York in three seconds and make a purchase, right? And so they'll, they'll put some analysis, some monitoring on there, and then say, hey, that looks like somebody doing something with the credit card number they're not supposed to be able to, and they'll flag that, right? That's that's security monitoring of a form within the application itself. Indeed. Cool. Thank you. When we look at product services security, we also understand there's a lot of duplication, not not inappropriate, but actually appropriate duplication where where we've got to have an an event monitoring and, and incident response framework available to us on the customer side, not just the client side of our of our organization, right? We've got to build out our own blue team uh, protection strategies. We've got to have our MITRE attack framework in place uh, in order to protect first the enterprise and then the the services. Yeah, a a lot of the same things you would normally have in a typical enterprise, you have to have um, focused on that particular service uh, because we have to have that whole, you know, soup to nuts, beginning to end life cycle covered. So uh, all of the same things you would have in the enterprise uh, could be and usually are replicated there, or there's some sort of shared team that can do both, depending on the nature of the particular product that's in, in question there. And your product network is going to need a part of that. You're going to have compliance accountabilities as well, right? Your product yep. may have compliance accountabilities separate from your enterprise. Yeah. So you might have to deal with regulation in different uh, regions and different product types so that you have to, to not just worry about the, the certifications that the enterprise cares about, but you have to worry about the regulations that, that apply across the industry or the certifications that the customers care about that may not be the same as the enterprise. And if your service is operating in different countries, then you may have different laws that you're accountable to, uh, depending on every individual country, state, or in, in the case of some places, county. Yep, you might have things like in-country, for-country, or even worse, in-country, for-country, by-country. Tell us what that means. Uh, so there, uh, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I have to do the, you know, the, the disclaimer. <laughs> but uh, there are some countries that oblige not only the running of it in-country, but the operating of it in-country too. So that means that it would have to be operated by people who are in that region, in that location, in that country operating on IT assets or cloud assets that are operating in a region in that country and at some data center there. So when we look at uh, the European Union, we look specifically at Ireland and Germany who have some very specific privacy laws about what data is uh, available about their citizens, where that data can be stored and where it can be viewed. Is that what you mean? Mm Yeah, that plus imagine all of the IT stuff behind it, all of the virtual machines that are running in the cloud would have to be in that country as well and run by people who live and work and operate and are probably citizens of that country. So you can't just put it in Ireland if you're serving wherever it's Stan. You've got to have it actually run by people in that country. Outstanding. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a really good understanding of what the product security and product services security look like. Let's take product security and, and see how it fits into our organization. Um, and then as we go through the organization, maybe we can understand and find uh, uh, where do we fit in that role, right? Because that's really what we're doing here is what is my dream cybersecurity job and where do I see myself fitting into that? So, so let's jump ahead and see what we've got.
the product security space has several common functions and tools, right? This is, and you'll find that they're actually a repeat of almost every function and tool of the enterprise security space. You're going to find architecture, you're going to find threat modeling and testing, incident response, you're going to find your SIM and SOC, uh, you're going to find your risk and third-party risk, and you're going to find compliance expectations. We're also going to see processes and standards of monitoring and response, architecture, engineering test, and even the risk and compliance functions in the product space as well. I'll call out some internal security partnerships. And this is, I think, an, uh, it was an interesting exercise for me as we went through and, and, and looked at product security and what partnerships it has to internal security orgs. And really, it's every one of them, right? Uh, we called out governance, risk, incident response, pen testing, and bug bounty. But really, that product security is, is, uh, is a partner across each one of the internal security organizations because it's it's mirroring every one of those processes. It needs to have it covered. So we have to cover all the bases with product security. And that means that we need to either have it directly ourselves, or we have to partner with the enterprise uh, doing it for itself and make sure that it's covering uh, not just the enterprise concerns, but also the, the greater uh, customer concerns that, that would be part of product security. Jumping ahead, I look at the enterprise dependencies and enterprise partnerships that the product security team will have. Sometimes these product security teams are actually not part or inside the corporate security team. They're actually embedded in the product teams themselves. And I find that's a really effective way to handle product security, as long as you have strong uh, dotted line relationships back to our core security functions. Wes, uh, why, why do you think that's the best way to do it? I, didn't, do I don't know that I'd say it's the best, but I, I think uh, it aligns you well with your product teams themselves and allows the product teams to be uh, 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 in, in consistent alignment, in lockstep with what security is guiding them to. Uh, you have less of a conflict and more of a collaboration happening when they're, they're co-aligned like that. Mm, okay. Do you what have some thoughts on that? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'd love to hear what Matt has to think about that. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, no, where no. We have that, the that's where I was going it, next. <laughs> okay. Where we have the synergies, it makes perfect sense. Um, we, we, we try really hard to not reinvent wheels if we don't have to. But we have to make sure that we have, as I mentioned before, that, that, that you know, hey, the product has some slightly different concerns there. Um, so, but there's some things that, that product security, we can recognize that, yeah, we need to have, like intellectual property protection, like making sure we've got a good, solid source code management solution. But we don't want to sit there and, and vex on that and worry about that too much. We'd rather make sure that our intellectual property protection team or the team that's making sure that we're, uh, we're uh, securing all of those assets is engaged and working with us so that we can focus on, let's go back to the design of the product, the thing that we're making. And, and what are some of the things that can go wrong if that alignment isn't, uh, you know, isn't very good? So you've got a whole bunch of of security people not in the security org, but they're making super important security decisions, but the friendship there just isn't working. Um, we try really hard to keep a good friendship, uh, but some problems that I've seen go wrong and, and are usually telling indicators to me that say, okay, I gotta go and, and talk to some different people and, and work some stuff out. Uh, you, you see it show up as things like uh, duplication of effort or a classic example that I've seen over the years in both jobs and, and is, 
requirements that come in late in the game because they weren't fielded up front. And it was one of those kind of situations where, you know, differing concerns, differing focus areas means that you have one set that comes in and says, uh, hey, yeah, this design makes sense. It's really secure for the design of, you know, focusing on the product. But you might have a, when they actually get to implement it and the enterprise team or, uh, tries to actually go and deploy it, they're like, wait, what about this one thing, this one security setting that we really care about? And to them, it makes perfect sense. They really worry about unencrypted S3 buckets or, you know, just pulling some uh, example out of the air. And that makes good sense. But from product, it's like, well, they're already encrypting the whole data stream in the database. So, you know, we've got it covered. Um, but it, it shows that you've got two teams that are not talking and coordinating very well. And especially when you have, um, uh, you know, a team that's already internal and doing that already in the, uh, you know, in parallel to the, uh, the product security team, it really helps if they can be roughly on the same page. One of my favorite challenges is when the, the product security team says, we need a different security policy than the rest of the core security team because our policies are different than your policies for what we need to enforce. Sometimes they're right. Well, sometimes they're right. But for sometimes. the most part, once you start cornering them and saying, hey, folks, I, I need you to write down what you would propose or draft as, a, as an alternative security policy for your product space, um, once it's written down, it actually really looks similar, right? There's, there's really not a lot of difference. Yeah, there's uh, often a lot of synergy there. The biggest challenge I've seen is um, in the flexibility of some of that stuff, right? So uh, the uh, classic example I can think of is the enterprise might say, you shall only use this one particular algorithm for this one particular encryption in, in, uh, in the back end of the database or something like that. And the product security team might have to say, look, we can't specify that because we need it to be flexible and the customer gets to pick. So that'd be one of those of those kind of conflicts where if you if you read the letter of the law, it's like, well, no, we'll never be able to resolve this. But really what you need to get to is like, we both want encrypted databases. It's just, we need to have a setting that can be set. And if you're in the enterprise, it has to go over to this setting. And if you're just a generic customer of the product, then it could be whatever. And I would argue that if your policies and standards are, are describing a specific vendor for your solution or prescribing a specific way to meet the requirements, you haven't written standards, you've written guidance. <laughs> policy it standards, was, procedures, guidance. Yeah, there's yeah. there's there's a lot of variance in that taxonomy. <laughs> yeah, there mm -hmm. is. Yeah, there it's is. defined a lot of different ways. Good stuff. Well, uh, some of the common enterprise partnerships we see are marketing, sales, legal, and privacy are are good friends of our product security group. Yeah, I'm going to uh, jump marketing. ahead. Okay. Go ahead. One comment on marketing and sales is more and more it's important to have that partnership because they're starting to get requests from customers that say, hey, tell me about the security of this product, right? I, I you know, uh, what, how, how are you, how do I make sure you're not going to, you know, cause my environment to get owned? Like that earlier example we talked about. Uh, and so the sales team needs to have at least a basic set of talking points, a basic understanding of um, the, the process that the company uses to make those secure products so that they can go back and talk to them and say, yeah, we, we try really hard and here's some of the kinds of things that we do so that um, they can actually uh, preemptively get in front of that, that security concern of the customer or potential customer. Calling out security as a competitive advantage is a risk. It looks like Cheerios did that. But even when we don't call it out as a risk, it's, it's very much something that uh, we need to enable our marketing and sales teams uh, to be able to do if they need to. So here's a, a reminder of the, the, the swagger of how governance might work for product security. This is of a large organization and, and could be uh, one of many Fortune 100 companies where uh, the suggestion is that maybe 11% of your overall security budget might be uh, a swagger approached. And uh, I'm sorry, 11% of your overall security staff might apply to your product security space. And then 17% of your overall security budget might be applied to the 
product security space. And that's primarily because you've got a, uh, in, a in a lot of cases, you're extending or purchasing additional security uh, contracts and third parties uh, to help you uh, with your product security uh, objectives. Yeah, and some extra thoughts on the the scale out there. Um, from experience, uh, I often see the scale out. It's easier to gauge in terms of like number of products. So uh, a typical scale out for uh, like a product security leader or somebody who's the in, in the product security team uh, engaging with those those product teams is like about one product security engineer to about two one to two dozen or, or twelve to twenty four different products themselves. Or if you look at it from a developer number, maybe there's one product security engineer to roughly an organization with 500 to 2,000 uh, developers. That's actually a pretty broad uh, one to 500 to 2,000. That's a that's a pretty pretty high ratio. Well, that's the whole development org, right? That that doesn't include the number of products. There might be, you know, depending on the size of the product, it could be two or it could be 200. But one to two thousand sounds like a pretty high ratio for that. That That's one just person my swag. Pretty busy. <laughs> Everybody well, and, gets their own swag. <laughs> and understand when you get in startups or mid market, this percentage may actually be turned on its head. You may be uh, if you're the first security person in a in a startup organization, you might be ninety percent product security and only ten percent enterprise security in the beginning. Uh, and so understand this is very much a rough swagger for a mature large organization. Uh, and your organization may be very different. Yeah, and another thing to consider in the distribution of where the budget funds go, especially if you're a largely geo-distributed organization, your your product security team is going to spend more in travel. Now, I know we're all stuck with the pandemic, uh, pandemic and we can't move along, uh, around a whole lot right now, but in that world where we have product teams all over, engineering groups all over, we're going to need to make sure that the product security engineers can get at least maybe once a year sitting down with the engineers on that product team, uh, that particular product team to make sure that they are, um, you know, touching base, building relationship, double checking things, just kind of building that rapport that makes the product security experience go a lot smoother. Thank you. Good thoughts. As we step ahead into what kind of jobs might we find in a product security organization, there are both some senior roles and some some startup roles, right? Some some intern and, and first year uh, type roles, right? So some of those senior opportunities uh, might be transition opportunities from existing technologies. Glad your lights are working again. Uh, that that might be uh, an architect or an engineer. Uh, it might be a support engineer or a software developer. Uh, we might find some technical product and, and project management staff, and we might find some lead analyst type roles. In the In the more introductory roles we might find support engineers and software developers as well uh, we might find all sorts of analysts and and i i mean this uh, uh compliance analysts and business analysts and functional analysts and security analysts and and analyst pm hybrids and SOC analysts and uh i don't know every every kind of analyst we can think of am Even i doing that right analysts. say that data analysts Data analysts, you're Take right. Take all that detail you get from the product and, and how it's being used and how it might be abused and use that to create interesting ways to spot that fraud problem like I was talking about. And so we have we have a, a very much excluded fraud and loss prevention from the overall security organization picture. That is a, a separate Understood. part of the organization. But you're right, product security itself very much takes in the fraud and loss prevention accountabilities in a lot of ways. Uh, in product security. 
Would you yeah, agree? We need with to make that? sure our engineering teams have to uh, to cover that as one thought because uh, um, you think about that trusted brand. Um, we we might look, ask them, "How are you making money on this thing?" And we need to make sure that we understand that and help them protect those assets, especially that that lead them to make money. And if it's all about the dollars and transferring dollars around, then fraud might become an issue. And so for that particular product or that particular service, we need to make sure they've got that covered. One of my favorite parts about product security is that uh, understanding uh, in a corporate environment, understanding what my role is in relationship to the customer is critical to understanding the value I'm adding to my company, right? And and sometimes in a corporate security environment, you're two or three clicks away from customer experience. But in the product security space, you are you are right there. You're on the front lines. Sometimes I'm even one click away. Here's an example. As we're helping those engineering teams build that product securely, we may have to give them not just making sure that they have secure features. We may have to help them define and, and develop security features. Nice. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to jump ahead to hear a little bit uh, to give you the, the last word here on today's, today's podcast, right? Uh, I want to know uh, what have been the keys to your success? If you had a little, little brother, little sister that was, was coming through right now, what would you tell them to focus on? And, and what do you wish you knew now? Or what do you wish you knew then that you do know now? Okay, great questions. Uh, with respect to the keys to success, um, I did some thinking about it. And I think uh, my ability to break down the, the complex problem into smaller chunks and kind of separate out the concerns has helped a lot because that means that we're not focusing in on too much of the broad picture and missing the key detail that actually is going to make that security difference, especially as we're engaging with the team. We got to make sure they're securing the right things, not necessarily uh, looking at the, oh my God, that's really scary. Um, so you're not going to eat the whole elephant all at once. Exactly. Um, uh, so that, you know, that, that kind of differing scope there. Uh, and then uh, also uh, being able to threat model. Uh, being able to understand, take a system, take that that breaking it down into a, some of its into its parts. Um, being able to look at that and, and use that to say, okay, well, because I know how it's put together and I know where the weak spots are, now I can plan ahead to where I need to add the mitigations to try to prevent some of those things from happening. Uh, so the with respect to the you know um, what would I tell uh, a mentee? Um, I would have them look at two key things that I, I think are more covered now in the university level than when I was uh, uh, coming through it. But um, uh, those two things are. Did they have modeling. universities when you came through? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, back when I had hair. Let's just say that. Um, uh, That's right. Mod- Taunt the guest just as we're getting into the finale. <laughs> <laughs> it was a I good episode, it. but now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, just one second. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's water. So, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mine's not. Uh, threat modeling. So I and I. The episodes I know threat get modeling. better the longer we go. Yeah. Threat modeling was a uh, we. I think we might have touched on. I don't remember it even talking about it much at the university level. Um. But there was a there was a, a thought about overall design at the university level. But being able to do the do the opposite, analyze the design. Break it down, similar to that thing I've been talking about with breaking stuff down, but then be able to take that plus the threat model and say, how do I design solutions? How do I design those mitigations? So if you're, um, if you're, you know, a mentee uh, looking at threat modeling and then that design analysis, I think would really help a lot. You know, I'd like to take this moment to call out that uh, Adam Shostak, who is the author of a threat modeling book, recently published along with 25 other offers, uh, authors, the Threat Modeling Manifesto. And so it's a two-page manifesto. It's, uh, it's found at threatmodelingmanifesto.org. 
they didn't pay me for this, and I do recommend you take a look at it if you can. Uh, they didn't pay me either, and I would second that motion. <laughs> yeah, it's good yeah. stuff, and we definitely need it. Yeah. Okay, so the last point about what do I know now that I wish I knew then, um, starting out in security and even starting out in some of the more product security kind of role, um, even at the enterprise level, uh, it was uh, I was a little too compliance centric, right? Here's the, here's the procedure, here's the thing, did you do it? In order to achieve the outcomes, we have to fight the war, not the battle. And so to really, um, you know, what I, I know now is that focus on the war and that will eventually solve all the other battle problems. So, you know, being that, that ability to be that business partner, be flexible, to not just say you have this one thing you have to hit. No, it's saying like, look, we're trying to make a good successful outcome, a good successful product where you can put trusted on the box and, and not worry about it, right? So let's focus on what do we need to do to get there? And maybe we have a few misses along the way, but we're still going to eventually succeed in that uh, goal and that outcome. Matt, those are wise words, and I'm glad to have you on this episode today. I think you've, you've spoken wisdom to, to Kip and I, as well as to the audience, and I think this is going to be a, a fun one to, to put in the books. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad you were here, Matt. Um, okay, everybody, that's, that's kind of the episode. I just want to close with uh, uh, an idea that I'd like you to consider. Um, if, you, if you like the series, if you like what we're doing here with the podcast with Wes and our, and our guests such as Matt, then you might want to get this free guide that we recently put together to help you uh, to be irresistible, really, to cybersecurity hiring managers. And it's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream Cybersecurity Job. And you can actually see um, a couple of pages of, of that guide right here on the slide on the screen, pages six and seven. And, um, and so what we've done is we've created um, a way for you to take the skills that you've uh, gained from playing Capture the Flag and put them to work to help you hunt down and capture a dream cybersecurity job for yourself. So um, I think you should go check it out. It's free. Go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF. The URL is right on the screen for those of you who are watching. And, um, and we'd love to know what you think about it. If you think it's it's on point, let us know. If you think it's lacking in any way, I would love to know that as well. So, all right. So until next time, just remember you're one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. Or as Wes likes to tell me, you're just one click away in the COVID economy. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, everybody. All. See you next time.